Good morning, church. It's a, it's a privilege for me. Um, it's always a privilege for me to be able to share God's word with you. Um, and 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 we're here again on a Sunday morning. My name is Mo, um, and uh, I'll be the preacher for for this morning. Um, we have a lot to cover, so we're going to go straight into it. Uh, we're currently in a series um, going through the book of Ruth. Um, and ultimately, we're looking at this, this, this notion around whether there is good news for the hopeless. Is there good news for the hopeless? Uh, Ruth chapter one sort of highlighted the reality of, of, of life, uh, the, 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 the pain that we can experience in life. We, we spoke about death and loss last week. Um, in Ruth chapter two, we're going to be looking at uh, one of these themes um, that we see, uh, these theological themes that we see in, in, narrative, um, in, in, in narrative genres. And we're looking at God's providence. Um, ultimately, the question we're asking specifically in Ruth chapter two is, can I be forgotten? Um, Reino mentioned uh, that the, the, the thing that, the, that excites us about going through narratives is because we, we, we went through a series where we looked at different theological concepts, different themes, um, biblical themes, Christian themes. And in narrative form, then we get to see these themes played out in action. Um, we get to look at faith in action. We get to see what it looks like and understand the reality of what, what, what these concepts are, 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 what they look like when they're applied by Christians, um, Christians of old and, and by us as believers um, in, in, in sort of the, the real-time context. And so today, as we look at Ruth 2, I want to spend some time highlighting the context and the backdrop of Ruth chapter one, the, 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 the somber reality. In Ruth chapter one, we saw death and emptiness. We saw loss and mourning. We saw the reality of life. We saw the hardness and the harshness that we can experience in life. Not only did we see that they were experiencing death and loss, but as Ruth 1 tells us, this was during a time of the judges, a period of the judges, the Bible says. And one scholar says it, 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 it was during a time of religious and moral degeneracy, a time of disunity in Israel. And on top of all of that, we see famine. We see famine in Bethlehem. And so Elimelech and his family leave and they go to, 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 to Moab. But the reality is it just feels like it's not just raining, but it's pouring as the expression goes. Like rain can be beautiful and it hits you and it waters and, 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 and it, it waters the land and, and growth happens. But there's that destructive kind of rain, thunderstorm kind of rain. So when we say when it rains, it pours, it feels like this, 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 this the reality of life is just so painful. For many of us today, and in fact, for many of us, that's how we feel when we come um, on many Sundays. Uh, the, the backdrop, not just for Ruth and Naomi, but the backdrop for us is, Lord, it just feels like it's, it's pouring. The state of my soul just feels like it's going through so much. We can, we can resonate with Naomi at the end of Ruth chapter 1 and verse 20 when she says, don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. <laughs> I had all these, these, these good things in my life, but the Lord has brought me back empty. 
The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And it's within that context, church, it's within that context of life that many of us ask the question, can I be forgotten? It feels so hard that it feels as though my creator, my Lord and Savior has forgotten about me. The one who has created me fearfully and wonderfully, the one who knows the very number of hairs on my head, has he forgotten me? Because it sure feels that way. And I remember, um, I think uh, it was a couple, a couple, a couple weeks ago in one of our series where, where Shiami was walking us through um, this, this, this notion of what do we do when it hurts? What do we do when it's painful? And as we look at Ruth chapter two, it's 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 sort of got that that theme around it, that same sense of Ruth chapter one, life was hard. And so in Ruth chapter two, we're trying to see, Lord, how do we respond as believers when life is hard, when it is painful? And so we're answering the question of whether or not God has forgotten us. And so we'll see this theme as we're answering that question, we'll see this theme of God's providence in Ruth chapter two, along with this theme of redemption. So throughout the whole book of Ruth, we're seeing these two themes, God's providence and God's redemption. And we see this notion of, of, of we see this application of faith in action within this context of when it seems like there's just so much chaos around our lives. What is a believer to do? How is a believer to respond? That's the context, church. That's the the backdrop. This is where we are as we enter Ruth chapter 2. Let me pray for us this morning as we dive deeper into Ruth chapter 2. Heavenly Father, we come to you this day, Lord. We thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that Though our lives may not feel as though we're experiencing the goodness of God. In faith, we can still say, Lord, we know you're a good God. The truth of your word tells us that there is only one who is good. And that is you, Lord. So this morning, speak to us through your word, Father. May you challenge each one of us and help us reflect and and understand what you are saying to us as an individual, us as individuals, and then us as a church body. So I pray that you may speak through me this morning, Lord. May you open up our hearts and our minds to hear and to receive from you and from your word. Bless our time together. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And so it, it feels like it's a, it really is a somber way to start this message, but this is exactly where Ruth and Naomi were. At the end of chapter one, there was hopelessness. At the end of chapter one, Naomi, she, she, for her to say, call me Mara, it's because she had lost everything. 
But by the grace of God, we have this one daughter-in-law who chose to stay with and so and say, no, 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 we're going to go through this together. And yet, as we look at this concept of God's providence, we realize that God is still in control. With, within this context of pain and, 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 and the sadness, a great love story. Enter Hollywood. So I, 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 I love romantic comedies. I love romantic movies. And we're going to show a picture um, on the screen here. I'm a hopeless romantic. Um, these are some of my favorite romance movies. Um, yeah, I mean, I just love a story that just, just sort of celebrates love. And they're cheesy, I know. Um, and not everybody loves them. But there's just something beautiful. I think the reason Hollywood is just filled with all these movies about love is, is because in each one of us, there's this desire for those of us who, who were looking or longing for love or for those of us who, who want to pick me up. There's just, there's just something beautiful about the love story. I know this is not everyone. Um, we'll hear in the breakouts. We'll, I, I know not everybody loves romantic movies, but as we get into Ruth chapter two, we actually see the setting of a great love story, a godly love story, where we see the sacrificial kind of love, this Christ-like kind of love. And in that, we see God's providence. I keep talking about God's providence. Let me define it for us a little bit real quick. Um, Oxford Dictionary defines um, providence as the protective care and or control of a God or a spiritual being, right? When we specifically refine it and confine it to God's providence, then you can simply define God's providence as the protective care and or control of God. So it's this idea that God's hand is in the lives of his children. I want to take it a, a, a step further and look at um, Wayne Grudem's quote when he speaks about God's providence. Wayne Grudem is, is this theologian and he, he wrote a textbook about systematic theology. So theological terms, theological definitions are covered. Um, seminary and seminary, a lot of uh, 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 um, Bible students and Bible scholars are instructed to read systematic theology um, and cover systematic theology. And so Wayne Grudem has been wrestling with this, this concept and this, this theme of, of providence. Let me read how he sums it up. All things come to pass by God's wise providence. This means that we should adopt a much more personal understanding of the universe and the events in it. The universe is not governed by impersonal fate or luck but by a personal God. Nothing just happens. We should see God's hand in events throughout the day, causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him, Romans 8.28. A deepened appreciation for the doctrine of providence will not make us more superstitious. It will make us trust in God more and obey him fully. So it doesn't make us more superstitious, but as we understand that, you know what, even when it doesn't make sense, I know that God's hand is somewhere there. Throughout scripture, we see even with the life of, of, of Job that Satan had to get permission 
to in fact touch or even affect the life of Job. And yes, this is a whole, it, it sort of takes us down a whole theological rabbit hole. But what we do know is that the hand of God is in our lives. There's no such thing as it just so happened as coincidence for the believer. We know, and for the non-believer, we know that God has his hand in our lives. He chooses when he's involved in how our lives sort of, the things that happen in our lives. And so in Ruth 2, we're going to be seeing the, these just so happened moments, right? It so happened that. And so uh, Ruth chapter 2 is about the meeting of, 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 um, of, of Ruth and, 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 and Boaz, um, I'm not sure if we have it, but before, as we get into Ruth 2, there's an outline of, of the different scenes that we're looking at. So Reno last week mentioned that they're going to be four different um, sort, of, sort, of, sort of chapters, and in each one, there's three, three parts to it. So part one, as you see, okay, so overall, Ruth 2 says, Ruth meets Boaz, Naomi's relative, on the harvest field, verses 1 to 23. Part one, Ruth goes to glean and happens upon the field of Boaz, Naomi's relative. That's verses one to three. The second part is Ruth and Boaz meet on the harvest field. Boaz is exceedingly generous. Um, that's verses four to 17. And then the third part is Naomi evaluates the meeting and Boaz is one of their redeemers, verses 17 to 23. Now, just to take us back to that sort of illustration I spoke about around enter Hollywood. Hollywood actually took a page from the Bible. So check this out. In any love movie, love story, you have seen one, right? Ruth, Ruth 2 verse 1, where they introduce the hero, the knight in shining armor. So we, we're, we're introduced to Boaz. Boom, he shows up on the screen, and as quickly as he showed up, he's gone. Then the second moment, they show the damsel in distress. Again, love stories are cheesy, I know. They show, they introduce Ruth to us, right? And then in verses four onwards, we see now the meat cute. They meet and it's cute. <laughs> That's why they call it the meat cute. I'm so sorry. This is what these love movies do, do to me, you know? So the meat cute, they come together and then the rest of the story unfolds. This is what we see. So now we're going to go verse by verse, sort of studying Ruth 2. So verse 1, they introduce Boaz to us. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. I'm going to circle back to, 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 to verse 1 as we get to verse 4. But, but we see in the story, they introduce Boaz to us, right? So then we get into verse 2 and 3. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out into the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, you see this, as it turned out language, as it just so happened, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, I just want to take a moment to understand what Ruth was doing. Gleaning. The, 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 the beautiful yet painful reality of gleaning. It was a reality of life. It was a reality of God's grace, both in one. Let's have a look at Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, that explain gleaning to us. So within, within the Israelite context, this was a, a part of the practice of the Israelites, an instruction by God himself. When you reap the harvest, 
When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of the field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So the Lord instructed the people of Israel, right, for those who owned the land to not actually like to not actually go through the entire part of the land. So basically, he, he told them to cut corners. <laughs> There's an expression of cutting corners. But it was because God wanted there to be that which was left for the vulnerable in society. One scholar says, this is God's welfare program. Wouldn't it be so great for us to live in a world where there are more countries that practice God's welfare kind of programs, where it's people-centered, it's selfless, it's about others. We see two things in this gleaning system that God puts together. One, God encourages the one in power, the one who has wealth, to be generous. And we, we see that Boaz actually is generous. But one, in this gleaning practice, he encourages generosity, not selfishness, not the kind of entrepreneurship or, 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 or the kind of running businesses where it's all about you and you literally milk every part of the cow. No, no. God says intentionally build it in as practice to think about others and leave enough for others to come for the poor specifically and the foreigner. So one, it encourages generosity. And the, the second thing, one scholar notes that it allows the poor to have a sense of dignity as they then go on and get that which was left for cleaning. Right. So we see this twofold dynamic within the context of God's welfare program, as we see. Now, as we go on, we'll note that in, in verse 4, then, we see the meeting. So it says, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, the Lord. The, 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 the Lord be with you. And then they responded, the Lord bless you. They answered. Now, the interesting thing is, just to note as well, within the context of gleaning, as an, as an overflow of gleaning, the reality is gleaning is not a pleasant experience, Right? One, one, one pastor was preaching about Ruth too, and they said, if you think about somebody who's homeless, so gleaning in, in, in the modern context, if you, if you think about somebody who's homeless, either they're carrying a trolley or somebody in our context, they carry those big bags where they have plastic bottles and, and bottles, sort of recyclable bottles in there. That's gleaning. Where the homeless, the poor, take our leftovers. They live off of our leftovers. So gleaning is no romantic thing. It's a painful reality, right? There's this, there's this experience of living off of scraps, people's scraps. Those who go to people's dustbins and try and find something that they can, they can use and they can make for themselves. So, so, so when Ruth and Boaz meet, it's within the context of Ruth, being in, Ruth and Naomi being in a lowly place. Again, it's important to understand because as we look at God's providence, as we see God's providence and God's goodness, as we, we see this theme of redemption, is because we are in a position where we actually do need to be redeemed, where we do need to experience the goodness of God. Okay, so verse four, let's keep going. So now Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. By the way, he happened to come from Bethlehem at a time that Ruth is there. Cool, right? Again, all these just so happened. Now we start to see the character of Boaz. The first thing he does, he greets the harvesters, right? He greets his employees. 
And he's in his greeting, he speaks about God. May the Lord be with you. They respond, may the Lord bless you. Now, to go back to verse one, in, 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 our, in, in the NIV, it says, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of good standing. Now, in other versions, it'll say um, a wealthy man. In other, in, in other versions, it'll say a worthy man, a man of influence. Now, this Hebrew word is a combination of all these words. It, you know, as with, 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 with a lot of these definitions, it can mean a number of different, um, have a number of different definitions and meanings. But with Boaz, it's one of those where we see that it's a combination of those words. He's a worthy man. He is a wealthy man, a man of influence, a man of standing. He's a God-honoring man. And, 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 and we see that the, 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 the narrator tells us that Boaz is a worthy man, right? We see then in verse 4, he speaks, he says, may the Lord bless you. So even in his speech, we see that he's a godly man. But again, now as the rest of the story unfolds, in his actions, we see that he's a godly man. You see that it's spoken of him. He conducts himself in speech that way, and then he conducts himself in action that way. So remember, when I said this great love story, we're seeing this, this, the character be the, the take center stage. So there's this greeting we get to see. We get a sense of seeing who, who Boaz is. Verse 5, Boaz asked the, the overseer of his harvesters, who does the young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Now, verse 8 and 9. So, so, so Boaz is told about Ruth. He sees this young lady. He asks about this young lady. And then he's, being, he, he's told about who she is. Now we see the interaction. Enter the meat cute. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and clean in another field and don't go, don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Now we see God's providence take center stage in Boaz's kindness to Ruth. So remember, the reason I spent some time defining gleaning is because it was to help us understand the context of gleaning, right? And we'll see it in, in, in the latter part of, of chapter two when Naomi speaking to Ruth, but we see that not all the Israelites followed the command of gleaning. Remember, it is a time during the period of the judges where there's this up and down obedience and disobedience um, of, of, of God and of God's people, or, or of God's people regarding the things of God. So it wasn't a guarantee that every Israelite practiced gleaning. And, and part of God's providence is that Ruth was, was, was present at a field that belonged, one, to Boaz's relative, that'll be, re that, that'll be relevant later, one, but two, a kind man. So the kindness of Boaz to Ruth speaks to us seeing the providence of God. And, 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 and church, for us, it, it may not always be so evident that God's hand is in our lives. But when we take a step back and we actually start to reflect and realize, yo, okay, but I actually haven't missed rent. You know, but actually, whenever I needed to, to, to take my child to the hospital, to the clinic, there was always resources. There was always petrol money. There was always taxi money. 
in the little things. So we might still be in, in the pressing. We might still be in difficult circumstances, but God's providence and, and God's hand in our lives is actually very active, even in the little things. Okay, back to, back to Ruth, back to our story. Okay, so we see Boaz's kindness to Ruth. Then we see Ruth acknowledge this kindness in verse 10. At this, so she sees it. She bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Remember, she's, she's a widow, right? And then she is also a foreigner from Moab. So this is why Naomi was telling her daughters-in-law, stay where you are, because to be a foreigner in, 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 in a land where you're living with a widow is going to be a very difficult life. Just to put sort of uh, Ruth's decision in context. So she says, Boaz, why do you show me such favor? Why do you show me such kindness? Right? So, 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 so again, within the context of gleaning to understand the difficult position that, that, that Ruth and Naomi were in, Remember, when you glean, you're only supposed to take the scraps. But we see Boaz is allowing Ruth to take more than the scraps. To follow behind the women and to, to, to in fact, Ruth is being treated like one of the employees of Boaz. So in verse 9, as we saw, whenever you're thirsty, go and get drink and water what, and, and, and from the water jars from the men that they have filled. So we keep going, we keep going. So again, we're seeing this narrative, we're seeing the context that Ruth comes into, and we're seeing Boaz's kindness to Ruth. Verse 12, um, verse 11. Okay, so, so, so Ruth says she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found favor, such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz responds, I've been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother in your homeland, and you came to live with people you did not know before. So now we see the character of Ruth being highlighted. Where we normally see, uh, one scholar was saying, we typically see that the beauty of women is noted in scripture. Um, Rachel uh, is, is spoken of, of, of her beauty. Bathsheba, Potiphar's wife. Um, we, we, we see with Esther. So consistently we're seeing this, even with the men, they, they talk about the handsomeness of Joseph, of David. But every once in a while, we also see the, the highlighting of the, the qualities and the character of individuals. So Ruth's commitment to, to, to her mother-in-law, to the family she committed to, she married into, her commitment to God and the things of God, her, her, her work ethic, her hard work. We're seeing characters. Remember, they were talking about Boaz's qualities. Now they're talking about Ruth's qualities. So when I say a great love story, church, today when you read Ruth 2, Ruth two whenever you read, you read the story of Ruth, so many R's read Ruth. Whenever you read the story of Ruth and Boaz, when you talk about a great love story, this sacrificial kind of love, we see a great example here. Okay, cool. I'm running out of time. I'm going to keep going. Verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. There are a couple of beautiful songs that we sang where the words spoke about taking refuge in God. And as a side note, I just want to say, church, for a number of us, we feel like we are not seen. We feel like sometimes God forgets about us. Here we see Boaz saying to Ruth, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. 
May you richly be rewarded by the Lord. Church, your faithfulness, your diligence, your trusting in God doesn't go unnoticed, though it may feel like it does. Matthew 6 verse 4, the father who sees in secret will reward you. And that's my prayer for us, each one of us in this moment. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is the beauty of the word of God, church. The beauty of narrative. You see how many gems we get as we study the word of God. Again, as we conclude now, verses 13 to 18, high level, um, we continue to see then, this, this providence of God continued. So I'm going to read through it quickly. So verse 13, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? She said, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have standing, the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to clean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks from her bundle and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an epan. She carried it back, ta- uh, back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had, she had eaten enough. We're seeing grace upon grace upon grace, favor upon favor upon favor. The beauty of, of God's providence is, as we see in Ephesians 3, verse 20 to 21, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or we can imagine according to his power. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. This is God's providence, church. We we, we see now the contrast of moving from where they were in Ruth 1 to where they are, are now in Ruth 2. We juxtapose now as we get from verses 18 to 23, where, where the state that we're in, they were in then and the state that they are in now. It's important. The detail of this passage is just so profound. If you look at verses 13 to 18, we see that, again, Boaz is treating Ruth as though she is one of his own, in his own organization. The things that he's allowing to be done for her, right? At the end of it all, by the way, as well in verse 17, it says, everything she gathered gathered was the amount of about an epan. To put that into context, that scholars are telling us that it's about two to four weeks worth of food. That's not what you get when you glean. When you glean, remember, you're taking scraps. You have just enough for the day. God's providence in Ruth's life is so clear. God's providence is so evident. He he has done way more than they could have ever imagined. Ruth, earlier on in the chapter, was just trying to find a field where she could glean where she could find scraps. And yet in one day, God gave enough for her and Naomi for a month. And so as they, as they conclude their interaction, we talk about scene three, she carried everything back. Verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? 
Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the, the man I worked with today is Boaz. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and to the dead. The man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth, Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. Church, as we end, I, I want to juxtapose the ending of Ruth 1 with the ending of Ruth 2. They move from scarcity, scarcity, to abundance. They move from hopelessness to hope-filledness. We contrast what Naomi said in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. Call me Mara, for the Lord has made me bitter. To, to Ruth chapter 2, verse 20. The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. And so, church, for us, our, 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 our pain and our difficult times might, might not be as swift as Ruth 1 to Ruth 2. It might be days, it might be weeks, it might be months. But we know, church, that in God's providence and in his redemptive work, daily, not just in the redemptive work of Christ, in his daily redemptive work in our lives, we know that he's there. I was going to spend some time looking at Kinsman Redeemer, but I know um, uh, Lesego and Reno will do a great job sort of looking into what that means and what that looks like. But that alone, there's this reflection to Christ and the work that he did in our lives. Even as we look at God's providence, we see in God's providence, we see God's redemption. And in his redemption, we see his providence. And so as we're at the end of Ruth 2, long chapter so much more to still get into but god has not forgotten you church that's what we were reminded of and that's what we learned here god has not forgotten you. in joshua 1 god talks to joshua and says as i was with moses i will be with you i will never leave you nor forsake you we sang it in the king of my heart he'll never let us down in Jonah 1.17, even while Jonah was in the belly of the fish, God was with him. Even with Jesus Christ being on the cross, God was with him. Matthew 27.46, Eli, Eli, lama, lama my, God, my, my God, why have you forsaken me? Throughout that entire experience, God was with him. And church, may you be reminded, as God was with Ruth and Naomi, he hasn't forgotten you and he continues to be with us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this day. Thank you for the gift of your word, Lord, that we can learn. That we can learn, Lord, about you and your involvement in your people's lives, Father. This morning, I pray for each person listening to this message, Lord. May you remind us, Father, that when we have moments when we ask, Lord, have you forgotten me? That we can be reminded that, no, you haven't forgotten us. 
Your hand is active in our lives, even though we don't always see it, even though it's not always obvious. So may we be reminded and encouraged on a daily basis. It's not to say things will, will miraculously just change overnight. But that which is miraculous is that you saw me. You see us as individuals. And you are there with us. You see everything we go through. You care about everything we go through, Jesus. And you're there with your arms wide open to say, come to me. Come to me, my child. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. So be with us this morning, Lord Jesus, as we remember that, oh no, we have not been forgotten. And we know that your providence and your redemptive work is clear in our lives on a daily basis. We thank you for this morning. Be with us for the remainder of the service. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you.